So we're going to be continuing in our work through the book of Joshua. This study has been called A Life Lived for God. And what's really cool about Joshua, Joshua actually translates as the name Jesus, which is really cool. So when we see Joshua, we see him as a picture of the Lord. Now what we're going to do is do a quick review for those of you that were not here last week. You guys, I know I just love a good review. So uh, last week our message was called Without Fail. And in that message, Without Fail, what we saw was God really preparing, getting things further prepared for the transition into the promised land. Okay, This was the land that was promised to their forefather, Abraham, where this was going to be the land they were going to possess, which they had given up. So it's just on the other side of the Jordan River. Okay, Now what's interesting about the Jordan River and what's interesting about this time is the fact that Joshua isn't going to actually focus upon what's to come in regards to dealing with the great enormity of what's on the horizon. What's going to happen with Joshua? He's going to do something really smart here. What he's actually going to do is he's going to revert their attention and focus it on not the enormity of what they're going to face, but the enormity of their God. Okay? So he's going to draw their attention where it needs to be. And we did that in five different stages we looked at last week. The first was the beckoning of the people. We saw in the beckoning what happened here was he said, come hither. He wanted to gather the folks around so that they would get accurate information. They would hear the instructions, understanding that it was crucial that they would hear it directly from God. They didn't want it to be a matter of their misinformation. They wanted it to be understood by the individual. And you and I, for ourselves, we applied the fact that it's important for us to be close to God. It's close for us to, important for us to walk with God. It's important for us to be in His Word. Now that's not just individually, which it certainly should be important, but also as a body, as a church. We should be close to the Lord if we're to function as God intends us to be. Then that brought us over to the informing of the people. God was going to teach them. And what's interesting about this is so he wanted them to gather around so they could get the information. There'd be no misinformation. But also to help them to understand the fact that it was essential for them to not only be close to hear, but also the fact that it would unite them. It would maximize the effect upon the people that they would hear it as a united body. And this points us to the fact that it's directly important for you and I to go to the source. We always want to go to the source. You come to church and I'm going to do my best to relay to you the Word of God, but ultimately you need to go to the source. Don't trust what I tell you, because guess what? I'm human and I will make mistakes. I guarantee I'll make several today. I've already made several few. Several, several few. Made a few. (laughs) But guess what? We're human and we're imperfect. So we always go to the perfect source. Do not trust me. Trust the Word. It is the ultimate source of truth. It is the only ultimate source of knowledge on the planet Earth. The only one that you can truly trust. So what's happening here is they gather around the banks of the Israelites, as they gather around and they hear from God what's interesting about this, the fact that they're getting an opportunity to hear for themselves. And you and I, when we gather around the Word of God, when we're in the Word, guess what we're doing? We're hearing it for ourselves. They get, we get informed. But what this did was this gave them the third thing was confidence. Now, certainly their fears are settled by the fact that they're going to hear the words of God. But what's also interesting is the fact that they know they have opposition on the other side of the Jordan. They know what's coming. They know they're heading to Jericho. They've heard the stories. They've heard and know. They can see the base. They can see the mountain in the distance. They know Jericho's sitting at the base, and that's where they're going to be going. So what we find here is the fact is you and I, as we go against our enemies, what's awesome is the fact that God not only says that He's going to be with them, but He also starts promising specific victories. So not only does He can give them confidence in the fact that He tells us He's going to be with them, but He also starts saying, hey, you know what? All these enemies you're getting ready to face guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to defeat them. He gave them assurance. That was the first thing we looked at. He gave them assurance. The assurance of the fact that not only was he going to be there, but he said, you know what? Not only that, but you know, I'm going to deliver them, drive them out before you, and he said, without fail. Amen. 
And see, it's that confidence that they have. And it's that assurance of the fact that, hey, not only are you going to go in, and not only am I going to be with you when you go, but guess what? I'm already working. I'm going to tell you specifically what's going to happen. And see, as you and I face our enemies in our life, they may not always be physical enemies. They may not be a person. It might be finances. It might be health. It might be who knows what. But what's wonderful is the fact that, guess what? God says, without fail, He will drive them out from before us. The only requirement is the fact that they would be faithful. That's what God asks of them, to do what He asks them to do. And then lastly, He gave them this last part, which was really awesome. The leading of God. The leading of God. God's going to literally take them where they need to go. They need to only follow Him. We talked about the GPS, the God positioning system. And their directional arrow is the ark. Ours is the Word of God. Sorry about that. Ours is the Word of God. And what happens is you and I are to follow. The ark is a picture of the Word of God, a picture of Christ. And what we do is we put our focus there. We follow where it leads us. And so the cool thing about it is not only do we tell them where to go, but He would even show them when to go. When you see the ark go, that's when you go. And guess what? The Word of God does the very same thing for us. It instructs us what we should do, when we should do it, how we should do it. It gives us all that we need. So here it is. It's all there. It's set to instruct us. Right? The Word of God. We're back into the Word of God. God draws us to it. He informs us through it. He gives us confidence in it. He reassures us in it. And He leads us in it as well. It's amazing. Even I've been given this incredible gift. So as Joshua and the people are now gathered at the Jordan River, they're facing this whole situation. These are the final instructions we're going to receive today. And I'm actually just titled, Passing Over. This is going to be in Joshua chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. God, for giving us this time when, Lord, we can hear from you. You know my desire is not to be heard. I honestly, earnestly, Lord, do not want this to be a message from me. I have studied, I have prayed, I have submitted to your will. I would ask that you'd help me just to disappear and to get out of the way. Lord, that you might grip all of our hearts, that we might hear this truth. And Lord, that we might apply it. It will be a little bit of a challenge today. But Lord, it's something we need to hear. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. It says, Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. So Joshua is leading the people into the promised land. This is the whole deal. But what's happening right now is right between them and the promised land is this great river, the Jordan River. Okay, And it's significant that it's the Jordan. What's really interesting about the Jordan is, it, guess what? It is, a, it is the number one tributary between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Okay, The Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. Jericho, where we're at right now, we're going to see on the map when we look in a couple minutes, we're going to see where Jericho is located, where they're going to be crossing. It's down near the bottom part of the Dead Sea. So we see here that it functions as not only as the eastern border of the Promised Land, which it does, but what's interesting is the fact that we'll see the significance of the Jordan River. We'll see it time and again. Obviously, in our story, what we're going to learn here, here is it's working in regards to where they're crossing into the Promised Land. But it's also important in the New Testament as well. Consider the fact that the, the Jordan River shows up specifically and is named specifically. When the Lord decides to reveal Himself into His earthly ministry, guess where He does it? At the Jordan River. John 1, verses 28 through 34, it says this, These things were done in Bethbara. 
beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. He's at the Jordan River. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Remember, he calls him the Lamb because guess what? He is a representation of the Passover Lamb. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Interesting that he uses that terminology because guess what? John is six months older than Jesus. He says he comes before me. He's referencing his deity, the fact that Jesus has always existed. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, am I come baptizing with water? And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descend from above, from heaven, like a dove, and it abode upon Him. He's referencing what we're going to read in Matthew 3 in just a couple minutes. He's talking about when He baptized Jesus. Verse 33 says this, And I knew Him not, but He that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending, and remain on Him, the same as He which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So this is the very place where Jesus decides to reveal Himself. And as we notice, that geographical location of where the Jordan River is, and we've got a picture of a map that's going to pop up here. Now, I know you can't really see it, but this is, this is uh, Tiberius. This is the Sea of Galilee. You can see Jericho is right here. Here's the Dead Sea, and this is the Jordan River that runs down into it. So we see here this tributary, this, this connection between the two. And what's interesting is the Sea of Galilee is a picture of life. It is teeming with fish. Capernaum is there, this busy port. All these fishing vessels are out there in the water. This is a hotbed, a, an active place teeming with life. But then we go to the Dead Sea. Well, the average ocean has about 4% salt, or saltiness, or how do you say it? There's probably a scientific way to say it. The salt level is 4%. That's all I can do. I don't know. But that water at the Dead Sea is over 30%. So it can't sustain life. It is, in fact, a picture of death. Galilee being a picture of life. Dead Sea, a picture of death. So we see the connection between the two. And just an interesting side note, side note is the Dead Sea is the lowest point on the earth. Just kind of cool. Revealing the fact that, bottom line, is the Jordan River is a functions, functions as a passage between life and death. And you guys know I've brought out the term Passover just a few times in the last few messages. Because in your King James Bible, guess what? It keeps using that word, Passover, Passover, Passover. In fact, in chapter number 3, you're going to see it show up four times in your King James Bible. And if you go to chapter number 4, it's going to show up nine times in chapter number 4. And then in chapter 5, it's going to show up in the first verse. Passover, Passover. Again and again, it shows up 14 different times. as if, Almost as if God is trying to tell us something that's related to the Passover at this Jordan River. Anybody think there's a possibility? Right. He's trying to say something. Yes. Why does God repeat things? Because the Bible does not have a volume button. Right. So he's trying to get you to go, hey, listen up! He repeats it time and time and time and time again. 14 times in that very short little bit of time. So the Passover, literally a picture of death unto life. That's what it was. Sacrificial blood of a Passover lamb would be the very thing that would be the, 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 the conduit of life to keep them from destruction. And we saw that in Egypt. We walk with it in Exodus. But then here we are. The sacrificial death of our Passover lamb, the lamb of God, as John uses that terminology specifically. Why does he call him lamb there? Because he's going, hey, you know what? This is all pointing to the Passover. How cool is that? And by no coincidence, the Jordan River is the very place where the Lord has John, his cousin, 
baptize him. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. We need to make sure we do this exactly as it's intended to be. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened and upon him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am yes. well pleased. Maybe. How beautiful is that? Mm. And what's really cool, consider this, that in this moment, on the banks of the Jordan River, the Father is there, the Son is there, and the Spirit is there. Amen. All three, the yes. Trinity, unite in this one location. He's saying this is important. So important that we're all going to be here together. Mm. How beautiful is that? Amen. As the Lord models for us the very first step of obedience as a Christian, the very thing Rose is going to do today. Amen. This is beautiful. And I love how this message is loaded with baptism. It just works out. I just did it all for you. No, I didn't. But, <laughs> but it's beautiful. It teaches us so much. There's so many wonderful spiritual truths in this. Physical baptism, what does it do? It displays the representation of spiritual death unto spiritual life. It shows us yes. a representation of that. The power of the Holy Spirit of God bringing someone to life. The, your King James Bible uses the word quickened, brought to life. And we saw the delineation as John described it back in John 1st, 1.33. What did he say? And I knew him not, but he that sent me, he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remain on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. He says, guess what? There's not just one baptism. There's two. There's a physical baptism, and there's a spiritual baptism. John says, look, you know what? I'm just a man. Guess what my job is? I'm a, spiritual I'm a, I'm a physical baptism guy. But that one over there, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to baptize in a different way, through the Spirit of God. And here's where people who are involved in false doctrine, involved in bad teaching, guess what? What happens is when you confuse the fact that there is a spiritual baptism and a physical baptism, you think there's just the physical Next thing you know, your salvation is based upon trusting in Christ and getting baptized. It is not the truth. Your salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. For by grace are you saved through faith yep. that He qualifies. And not of yourselves. Right? Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Guess what baptism is? It's a work. We don't earn our salvation through things that we do. We do it because we trust in Christ and Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and life. And no man come to the Father but by me, he says, right? Amen. Just a little qualifier like you guys didn't know that. But anyway, picture and trust. The spiritual baptism from God is displaying, the physical, is displaying to the physical world the spiritual, the water baptism is a picture. Let me read that again because I didn't read that rightly. Rightly. I can't talk today. I apologize. Picture it for us that the spiritual baptism from God is displayed to the physical world, to you and I, with our eyes, through water baptism. Revealing that baptism that takes place through the Spirit of God is that one that brings us to salvation, where the physical one, when we get baptized in the water, what does that do? That is a work of man that reveals the fact and symbolizes that we are a child of 
God, that spiritual change that's happened inside of us. We always describe it like this when I describe baptism to somebody. So look, if you go to the, to the pawn shop and you buy a ring, and you're not married, but you put on the ring. I might look married. You'd think I'm married, but I'm not. If I go to the justice of peace and I get married, but I can't afford a ring, am I married? Yeah. yeah. So do I wear the ring to make me married? Do I wear the ring to show that I am married? Exactly. That's what baptism is. It shows what's already happened in our hearts. So if you go in the water and you're lost, guess what you're going to come out? Wet and lost. Yeah. That's it. Bring a bar of soap make it into a tub because it's the only ringing for you. So we see here this aspect. This, this is our public profession of faith. That's what we're doing. We're professing who we are in Christ and we're making a commitment by, by making this public profession. I said, look, I am a child of the King and I am going to follow Him from this day forward. That's we're making a commitment. That's all that it is. A physical, physical picture of the transition from death unto life spiritually. And we see that the focal point of this very thing is the Jordan River. It's not by mistake that God chooses that location. A river in the New Jerusalem is formed when God's recreating eternity. In Revelation 22, he's going to reference, guess what? A river. Revelation 22.1 And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God. And notice the terminology here. And of the Lamb. Mm. Not by coincidence, every word has been chosen by God to specifically teach us deeper understanding. A river of life. So there's no denying the significance of the Jordan River as a place of transition, as a place of, of change. A picture, not only the physical, but also the spiritual. It's showing us, showing us both. So in preparation for the transition here from the, from the wilderness, right? Then we know the wilderness is a picture. It's a picture of the world into the promised land. Well, guess what? That's a picture of the abundant life with Christ. That's abundant love with God. Yes. And so here we are in this transition from the two. The first thing we're going to see that God's going to do, we see the selection of the twelve. Verse 12 said this. Number one, selection of the twelve. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe, a man. So we see a representative from each one of the twelve tribes is going to be chosen, this man specifically. Now if you don't know the tribes, I'm going to read them to you. You've got the tribe of Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Now, if you know the story of Jacob, whose name God changes to Israel, you know he had a, one of his sons' name was Joseph. And people go, where's Joseph in that list? I don't know. Well, guess what? Manasseh and Ephraim, those are his sons. He's represented through those two boys. And what we're going to see is the reason why these men were chosen. There's a really interesting purpose for these 12 men. Here in Joshua 4, we're going to jump forward in our Joshua study. Just then you guys, once I teach you this, forget it, because I'm going to teach on this later on. But we need it today. We're going to help us to understand. Joshua 4, verses 4 through 7. Then Joshua called the 12, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. He's saying, look, each one of you men walk in there, grab a big stone, put it on your shoulder, and walk it out of the wall, walk it out of the off the off the riverbed. And this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. 
This is a memorial for people to see those stones and go, what's that rocks for? Hey, Daddy, why are those rocks standing there? Because there was a day. There was a day when the priest set foot in that water and it stood. It just stood right before us. It's a memorial. And as we see here, the 12 were to create a memorial that would commemorate the power of God. Displaying here at the Jordan River what was to future generations going to be a spiritual marker. A spiritual marker that they would be able to look at and go, you know what? Here's where God did something. And that's the very same thing that you and I are supposed to be doing. As God does something in our lives, so many times we pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And God answers our prayer and we're like, well, great. Move on to the next one. We don't go, you know, wow. Let me give God some glory. Let me let people know. Let me invest this. Tell the story to my children, to my family, what God did for me. This church is a spiritual marker in my life. I share that story over and over and over and over and over again. It's a miraculous thing that God did. And instead of getting used to telling the story and being like, yeah, but you already know that. No. I want it to be fresh in my heart because, you know what, every time you share it with somebody new, they go, wow, really? Who gets the glory? God. It's not about us. We're supposed to be doing that for the next generation. Like the next generation in our lives, we're supposed to be creating memorials so that they will see the faithfulness of the Lord. Speaking this into our physical children, yes, but also our spiritual children, the people that our life is investing in. Notice what Peter says here in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 and 15. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, when you see meet, it means profitable. I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, this physical body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. He's gonna, he died, and He showed me that I'm going to die. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, after I'm dead, to have these things always in remembrance. Amen. That I might leave a legacy in your life. You see, Joshua chose his 12 to create a memorial to God. And when Jesus Christ came, how many did he choose? 12. 12. And guess what they were supposed to do? Leave a memorial that you and I might know who Jesus Christ is. Guess who used in writing the Word of God. Guess who Peter was one of those men? They kept his story alive because they shared it. They lived it. They memorialized him. They left a legacy in their lives. Now there were 12, 11 of them, man, they, they did great. <laughs> they left a legacy of faithfulness and service and sacrifice. But there was one, one of the 12 named Judas. He also left a memorial. He also left a legacy. Guess what it was? Sin and selfish destruction. And we look at that and we go, wow. What am I leaving behind? Am I like the 11? Or am I like the 1? Where do I fall in this? Because can I just tell you this? We're all leaving a legacy. Amen. We're establishing it every single day. Every choice we make, every thing we do, we choose 
our legacy should not be about us. It should be about the goodness of God. Amen. His worthiness to be praised. His faithfulness in our lives. Right. And what happens, man? We should be sharing stories. Testimonies of God's goodness. We should be living lives. That because of the righteousness that people see in our life, it gives glory to the Lord. We should be investing in the lives of other people. Mm. Our very own children are a legacy that we get to leave behind on this earth. The people that you disciple and work with and invest in in your life, guess what? They are your legacy. You're leaving them away. You're creating one. The Bible calls them lively stones. Not by coincidence. All this is tied together. They're supposed to go and gather stones and leave a memorial of stones. Listen to what 1 Peter says. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You are to be a lively stone that sings glory to the Lord. You are a memorial. And the people you invest in is what you leave behind. The memorial here at Jordan will not be about the Israelites' accomplishments. It's not about them. This is about God's accomplishments. It's not even about them. It's just how God delivered. And you see, if you and I would live humble lives, lives of service to the Lord and service to others, that's what ours will be. It won't be what we did. I was this great person. I did these wonderful things. No. God would receive glory if we humbly do it the way we're supposed to. And man, I'm just telling you, we're all making our legacies today. Let us all serve and have a desire to leave one that honors the Lord. Because we'll leave a legacy either way. Be like the eleven. Or be like the one. And I think some of us, maybe all of us, are a bit of a combination. We're a bit like both. And there's a verse that I quote to you guys all the time. It's my life verse, Matthew 5.16. Right? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Sounds good on a t-shirt. Looks good on a sign. Sounds wonderful. And we hear it and we go, I agree. Let your light shine. Yeah, brother. Woo. But do you realize who's saying that? That's the Lord. Yeah. Jesus is saying that. He's not just, it's not a request. This is a command. <laughs> He's commanding them. Let your light so shine before men that people would see it. You need a memorial. What's the purpose? So they would see how great you are? Right? They glorify your Father which is in heaven. That the memorial, the memorial of your life, the legacy of your life would point fingers at the goodness of God. That's what these men are called to do. That's the whole point of this. The question is, what memorial are we building right now? What are we building? What are we built up to today? Next thing we see. Number two, the instructions to the priests. Verse 13 says this, And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan. So we discussed in the past how dangerous this is. Okay, The ark is extremely dangerous. You touch the ark and you are going to die instantly. It is a uh, one false move and you're done. So what we notice here is the fact that their, their attention and their focus is not on the risk, but it's based upon the reward of faithfulness. That's the whole point here. As long as they will do what God is asking of them, guess what? God is going to use their lives for His glory. Everything hinges on their faithfulness. Okay? This is true for us as well. Remember, the Bible says they're going to step in the water first. 
Now, you know the water is getting ready to stand up on its end. Is it possible a big electric shock might go through the water? Maybe, I don't know. I've never experienced this before. I don't know. These guys right here are quelling their fears. They're already picking up the ark, which is, God forbid, something happens there and it rocks and bumps and they touch it with their hand. But now they're going to have to get all that stuff under control. Then they're sitting there carrying the fact that it goes, we step in the water and the water's going to stand on in. What's that going to feel like? What's it going to happen? Oh my goodness. I mean, recognize. They're the first ones. No one else is going to touch the water. They get to walk up and be the guys that are going to step. And we might call it this, walking by faith. Right? Walking by faith. There will be times in life where God's going to ask you to take a step to do something. And then nobody else has ever done it. Think about our missionaries. that say, you know what? I don't come from missions family. I'm the first one in my generation to get saved in my family. God's called me a missionary to Africa, to China, to Hungary. They're taking a step of faith. They're going first because what happens? They're believing and trusting the promise that God's going to do something miraculous. And can I just promise you this? That if you and I will be faithful to do what God's asked us to do, the very same thing is true for us. Right. God will do the impossible. The things we do not believe are possible. God does them all the time. Yeah. God is a miracle-working God. But then we go, well, what does God ask me to do? What, what exactly does that mean? What's His request of me? Glad you asked. Just happens to be in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 32. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man. This is us, our flesh, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Hear that? That's who we're supposed to be. Righteousness and true holiness. That's the walk. That's us. Verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying. Don't lie anymore. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Look, don't even mess with sin. Don't allow it in your life. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Listen, don't tear people down. Edify means build. He says, don't tear people down. That's not what your mouth is for. I gave it to you so you could build people up. Why? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grace. Grace. That's kindness that's not deserved. Grace. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here goes. Listen. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty clear. That's what we've been told to do. The question is, how are we doing? If those are the parameters for our job description, then we go, hey, let's look at your list. How are you doing? How's the anger? How's your forgiveness? How are these, these areas of your life? How's your righteousness? How's your, how's your holiness? I told you, today's not an easy day. But we've got to look within ourselves. Because listen, you don't answer to me. You don't answer to each other. We all answer to God. And guess what? We cannot hide. No matter how well we camouflage it, He sees straight 
through it. Are we faithfully walking with God so that our Jordan will be a passageway on the abundant Christian life? Or are we allowing our Jordan to be a barrier that keeps us in the world? It's a tough question. So Jordan's either a passageway or it's a barrier. Whichever we choose. See, our faithfulness determines the answer. That's what decides. So after hearing instructions to the priests, well, now we get to see the promise of God, number three. Mm. Verse 13 says this, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. So the miraculous description that we see here obviously makes us think of the parting of the Red Sea. Right? We go, wow, that's the same thing. Remember Moses walks out, he says, you know, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he hands out his staff and the water just, east wind comes, not back when it says east wind, remember God moves east to west. East wind comes, separates the water. And they walk across on dry land. Unbelievable. But this is going to be different. Remember, this is moving water. This is a river that's running. It's coming from Galilee, going down to the Dead Sea. So what I find here is this is going to look differently. I have a picture of the, of the there you go. So imagine this river. What's going to happen is they're going to be on that side. Galilee's up here. So the water's running downhill. The Dead Sea's down here. So they're going to see literally the wall, the water on the right-hand side is just going to stand up and heap. And then what happens, you're going to have a dry riverbed right in front of them. I don't know if that helps you to visualize it. So what happens here, displaying the fact that this, this passage or barrier, depending upon their faithfulness, Right? Is not a problem for the Lord. It ain't, no, it ain't no issue at all. God can handle it. And what we do is we maybe compare the Jordan River that we see here. This point of friction as the difference between our flesh and our spirit. We see death and life. And imagine this Jordan here. That you see our wilderness, our flesh, and our promised land, an abundant life with the Lord. And we can stare blankly at this raging river in front of us. And we can stand in our flesh and think, how would I ever get across this to get to that? I know I want to live a life that's spiritual. I know I want to honor God. I know I want to I walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the desire of my heart. But guess what? On this side of the river, I'm in the flesh. I'm stuck in the wilderness. But I want to get over there. Well, what were the directions to the priests? Right? They're the linchpin. They're the decider of why they can walk across. It goes back to the priests. What are they supposed to do? They're supposed to bear the ark. And they're supposed to faithfully walk. Bear the ark and faithfully walk. Well, guess what our ark is? Are we faithfully bearing the ark are we speaking truth into people's lives? Are we living our life based upon the precepts of this book? Are we living in our flesh? Bearing our ark and walking faithfully. Walk in righteousness. So we look at our life. If I'm not bearing the ark and I'm not walking faithfully, guess what? It's going to be a barrier. And I'm going to stand on this side of that thing and look across to the flesh and go, man, it sure would be nice. It's not like we don't know what to do. We just have to be willing to do it. That's the difficult part. But see, it all comes down to this. God's promise of His power is contingent upon the faithfulness of the priests. Right? God possesses the power 
to separate the water. God has the desire to split the water. He has the desire for you and I to walk into the abundant life of Christ. That's what He desires us to do. He's drawing us to it every day. But you see, if our focus is on the river, which is what we do, we focus on the barriers in life. We don't focus on the solutions. Notice that Joshua's solution wasn't to focus them on what was to come. His focus was on God. Don't worry about what's to come. It's irrelevant because he's already overcome it. He's already right. promised it to us. Guess what? The things that you think are going to stop your life, God's over, already overcome them if you'll allow him to work. He's waiting on us to be faithful. And what's so wonderful, when we finally get that through our thick heads, and we take a step of faith and we watch God work, we're like, you, you, you won't believe what happened! Mm, yes. Unbelievable! And we're like, yeah, uh, yeah. Faithfulness, it's amazing. God answers, guess what he rewards? Faithfulness. Amen. But then we'll answer our prayer right there, and then the next time we get into a situation, what do we do? Do you see the barrier? Holy moly, that's a big one. And we lose sight of God's promise. He said, without fail, he will drive them out from before them. And guess what? It's the same true for us. Amen. Our Jordan is intended to be a passageway. It's intended to be nothing more than a way for us to reach what God has for us. See, the whole point is this. The very place where God's going to get us in our life, that we're supposed to experience incredible power and victory in God. Right? We get right where we're supposed to be. And He's like, okay, now just be faithful. Do what I'm asking you to do. Just be faithful. Just do what I'm asking you to do. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. The very place that God got us to so we could bring victory can become the place of defeat where the memorial that we live behind is one of fear and failure. Because we reach situations where we won't trust the Lord and we allow, His, we allow our fears to take hold of us. And when God brought us to the memorial of His great work, we turn into a memorial of failure because we don't trust Him. We're every day given chances to trust Him. Whether the water will stand as a heap, it's up to the priests. They know what to do. They've already been given the promise of what's going to happen. right? But if they won't follow through, it's not going to take place. The mighty Jordan can either be a passageway or it can become a barrier. We get to choose. And see, so it all comes down to this. When the level of obedience, it's the level of obedience and faithfulness of the priest that will display, the Lord God will display His power through. And what's happened is God is calling you and I to be Christians, to be Christ-like, to take on the image of His Son. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man, you leave the flesh behind with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We're supposed to take on the image of the Lord. Yeah. Loving like he does. Caring like he does. Touching people's lives like he does. And so when it comes to ourselves and we're trying to figure out if we, if we make that image what a lot of times we'll do is we want to compare ourselves to the world. Man, compared to the world, we are Christ, man. We look just like Him. We compare ourselves to other Christians. They're not even faithful to church. What the, I mean, at least I read my Bible. 
I'm in service. I'm, I sleep a little bit, but it's a big deal. I'm still there. <laughs> My wife tells me I have a soothing voice. I tell her, that's a bad thing. I want a soothing voice. I want an uncomfortable. I want a voice that just makes you great to your nerves. You're like, I can't stand here, that guy. At least you stay awake. Wake up. Just kidding. But what happens here, right? We want to compare ourselves to the world and other Christians. But that's not the measuring stick. Right. Jesus is the measuring stick. Right. He's the measuring stick. How are we doing when we compare to Him? Are we faithfully bearing and living the Word of God as we prepare to step into the waters of our Jordan, anticipating the incredible power of God being displayed in our lives? Right? And it becomes a passageway. A passageway right into the abundant life with Christ. And we experience the love of God like we've never experienced it in our lives. Or, or, are we faithlessly standing back from the shore, unwilling to bear God's word, unwilling to faithfully walk, not trusting in his promise, and seeing the raging river before us as nothing more than a barrier between the intimacy with God that he wants with us? And the world where we find ourselves stuck. I told you today's not an easy day. But listen, it's important that we deal with these issues. We need to look within our own hearts. God's holding us all accountable. He wants to do work in our life. Listen, if we're the latter and we're struggling and we're still, and it's a barrier for us, listen, it's about time we stop trying to blame God. Right. If God would do this, if God would do that, and da-da-da, no. God's done all He needs for us. He Amen. saved our souls. He gave us a way out of hell. Amen. He's provided for us the Word of God. He's given us an opportunity, free will of man, to choose what we want to do. And God says, hey, I've given you every opportunity I possibly can. I've paved the way. As we talked about last week, the, the teaching the child to walk. The parent paves the way. They do all that they can to make them successful. If the, if the child's not successful, it's because they choose not to be. You and I have an opportunity every single day to walk with God and honor Him with our lives. And when we don't, it's because we choose not to. Right. And so as we look at this, we go, man, you know what? Am I doing what God's asking me? We saw Ephesians 4. He told us, this is who you're supposed to be. <laughs> Righteousness. And holiness. We can't claim ignorance. Not after today. Right. We know what we're supposed to do. Yep. It's not an option. But listen, the question is this. What will the memorial of your life read? When people look at the life that you lived, when you leave this place, and you're done, and you can make no more contribution what will it read? Put your name in the blank. This was the location where David was defeated in his Christian walk. Or this was the location where David experienced an incredible victory mm. in his yes. Christian walk. Amen. That changed his life. Amen. And the life of others. Yes. Yes. That's what it's about. Amen. This isn't about what we leave behind in our name. It's what we leave behind in his name. Preach. Mm. What do we leave behind through our Christianity? Passageway? The abundant life? 
just a whole lot of information about the barriers that we allowed to stop us. In the end, it's, what happens with us, we get to decide when it comes to our passing over. Amen. It's in our, the ball's in our court. God's done all that he needs to do. The question is, will we do what he's asked of us? It isn't like we need to invent anything. He's given us instructions. Just faithfully do what I've asked you to do. Bear the ark and walk by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today and thank you for the incredible gift of the Word of God. Thank you for the uh, miraculous things that you've taught us and Lord, the way you've explained to us baptism and, and the, the, the Passover and our Christian walk and all, Lord Jesus, that the challenges that we've heard today. God, I pray that we have ears to hear. Lord, this not just be something that we file away. We say, that was a good message. Yeah, passing over. Yeah, it was great. But Lord, let it speak to us. Lord, help us to build a memorial with our life, the way we invest in the people around us, the way that our life is lived, the things that we do, the choices we make, the things we say. God, help us to bear the truth. Help us to walk faithfully. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are here today, and Lord, I pray that you help them. Help them, Lord, to address the issues in their life, if there's sin, of whatever it is. Help them to deal with it, Lord, they might be that faithful follower. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know where I stand with God. Honestly, I'm not sure I'm even a Christian. I, I, I believe in God. I've been in church my whole life, perhaps. Rose's story was she was raised in church. She knew all about God. But a moment in time when she made a choice to truly receive Christ, recognizing the fact that she was lost and undone without Christ, and He was the solution. And in that moment, she trusted Christ. And you know what? He's faithful to always come through and do the impossible, taking someone from death unto life. If you've experienced that, praise the Lord. If you've not been baptized, guess what? That's your next step. But listen, if you've never experienced that, you've never trusted Christ, you're online and you say, you know what, I've never done that. 19 years ago, someone asked me the question, he said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. That's not a good answer. And they took the Bible and showed me how I could know. And all I want you to understand is the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid the price on the cross that you could not pay. He offered you a way through His death, through His death, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift. And He offers that gift to all of humanity. But we have to choose to receive it. It's not forced upon us. We're not born with it. We choose to receive it. So if you've never chosen, or maybe you did, but you just said a prayer, you didn't mean it. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. It's a heart decision. If you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's not the words of the prayer. There is no ceremony here. There is no magic prayer. This is your heart speaking to God. I can promise He's listening. If you want to receive Him, you're online today. You're watching this recorded 10 years ago. doesn't matter. It's you and God. It's not me. So your heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ as your Savior. You can repeat it in your heart, in your mind, out loud. I don't care. Repeat after me if you want to receive the Lord. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I know that I have failed myself. I've failed you. And I've failed my family. And Lord, I am sorry. 
I come to you today with a broken heart, willing and desperate to receive the gift that you offer. Lord, I pray that you'll come into my heart, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven.